This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek graphic novels collection. Get your first volume, Countdown, for only $4.95 when you sign up today at eaglemoss.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 237, Suspicions. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode. It seemed like an ordinary gathering of the Mission Log crew. And yet, there was something special about that day. John was in fine form, complete with trivia that was totally on point. Ken, meanwhile, brought his usual level of wit to the proceedings. And me? I was just glad to have all of us together. Especially since, I knew, both men were headed for annihilation. ...that make 48 minutes into an episode of episodic television. This week, Suspicions, where Dr. Crusher suspects some suspects of something suspicious. I've got trivia coming up in a moment, but first... But first! A word from Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek graphic novels collection. I gotta say, John, I went to a comic book store... Uh, this week. Good. And I was looking for, well, wait until you hear why. <laughs> I was actually looking for comic books that I could cut up. Oh. Nobody threw anything at me. No, it's it's for a project I was working on, whatever. And, um, and while I was going through, I found a couple of Star Trek comic books. Mm. And now, these will not be cut up, but I will tell you what was really interesting to me about one of the comic books I found in particular. It's from one of the DC, it's from the DC run of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I'm flipping through it. Okay, looking for pictures that I could cut up to make something else, but I'm not going to for this one. I actually bought this comic book. I think it was like 49 cents because uh, Spock is talking to Christopher Pike. Ah. Now, here's what's interesting about this to me. Okay. He is talking to the Christopher Pike who is living on Talos 4, and it's after uh, he's you know hijacked the Enterprise and taken Pike to Talos 4. And and Pike acknowledges, oh yeah, by the way, I'm still in you know this this mind game that the Talosians play, mm-hmm. but I'm doing okay. You know, I'm still a paraplegic, <laughs> but I don't feel like one right now. And and look at me, I've aged. And look, Vina has aged along with me. And look at me, I got a kid. Now I only picked that up from like reading two of the pages of this comic book. Wow! But I'm really excited to go back and find uh, the rest of that. Yeah. Or or read the rest of it and see what the rest of the story is. Now, what would really excite me is knowing how it is that Spock got to this planet. Here's the problem. It was in like one of like 50 boxes of comic books that weren't even categorized. It was just like, you know, these are the sale comics. And so here they are. Yeah. And so the episode before this is the one or the issue before this is the one that would tell me how it is that Spock got there. And I couldn't find that. And so that part, I'm going to be left wondering. Now... Last thing, ask me why somebody might like something like the official Star Trek graphic novels collection from Eagle Moss. Ken, why might somebody like the official Star Trek graphic novels collection from Eagle Moss? Because they're not going to leave you hanging like that. Oh, you're not going to you get go. you're not going to get yeah. to the end of one of these collections because they are collections. They're going through and they're picking out stories that make, you know, a more cohesive story. And they're putting those together. You're not going to get to the end of it because that was the other thing. There was another comic book that I saw, another Star Trek. I want to say it was from uh, I can't remember which 
which publisher it was from. But there was another one, and I looked through it, and it looked kind of interesting. And so I checked the end, and it said, to be continued. <laughs> and I thought, well, there's absolutely no point in getting this, so I put it back. Yeah. And also, it didn't have any good pictures to cut up. Right. So, I mean, that's that's two things right there that are fantastic, I think, about what Eagle Moss has done with their graphic novels collection. First of all, they're not going to leave you hanging on a story, nor are they going to start you, like, in the middle of a story – which might happen to you if you just wandered into a comic book shop. The other thing is, it is going to continue stories that you did not even know there was a continuation of. I assumed that the last thing that happened to Pike, well, in the, in, of course, in the uh, Kelvin timeline, he dies. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the Prime timeline, last thing that happens to him, we drop him off on Telos 4. He lives happily ever after. That may be the case. That may not be the case. I'm not sure. My point is, they're drawing from stories and characters that you know, but telling brand new stories and brand new characters in all the different comic books. And and that's uh, that's some of the stuff you'll be exposed to with the uh, graphic novels collection from Eagle Moss. Well, that's what I like about Star Trek graphic novels and comic books is filling in those gaps mm-hmm. and letting you know what happened in the story after the story. And you get to kind of follow some of those characters that maybe weren't as fleshed out, like the Lost Tales. So uh, we talked about Harlan Ellison's version of City on the Edge of Forever. How about stories about, say, Zahn? You remember Zahn? Zahn from Star Trek, the motion picture, who was supposed to be the Vulcan on Phase 2, if Phase 2 had happened. Well, now you can read more tales of Zahn in the Lost Tales that are part of the Star Trek graphic novels collection. So I like that. I also love the fact that these are really presented for collectors. Hardbound mm-hmm. books, they look beautiful. And the longer you are a member, a subscriber to that collection, and you will be, you'll keep it going. You'll get free subscriber gifts too. Like uh, we talked about the metal uh, plate cover collection, uh, the, the two covers from the Gold Key Comics era, and then uh, the pin and the bookends. And there's just so much more. What we suggest you do is you go ahead and start your collection right now with Volume 1 Countdown for only $4.95. That comes with free shipping. Uh, This is the story before the J.J. Abrams 2009 Star Trek movie. So it tells you, you know, how it is that Nero and Spock ended up where they are. See, you didn't even think about that, did you? That movie actually starts you off in the middle. This is going to tell you how we got to there. That's the kind of completion we're talking about. And then, twice monthly, you're going to get another edition. Of course, you can cancel anytime you want to, uh, but then you'll be missing out on so much more Star Trek. For details on the entire collection and to order, visit eaglemoss.com slash mission log. That address again is eaglemoss.com slash mission log. And a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. John does have trivia coming up in just a moment, but first, I have contact information for you. Or rather, I have our contact information. I don't have your contact information. I'm not a total creep. That would be weird. Yeah. It would, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now, without further ado, it is time for John Champion's Trivia. Today's episode, Suspicions, was written by Joe Minoski and Naren Shankar. Now, we know... A little bit about the mysterious Joe Minoski, who's been with Next Gen since Season 4, and will go on to Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and then Disco... 
Star Trek Discovery. Most recently in our rewatch, he wrote the teleplay for The Chase. And the last time we talked about Naren Shankar, it was for his script for Face of the Enemy. Now, remember, he also joined the show in season four as an intern after having written a spec script. Today's show is directed by Cliff Bowl. Now, Cliff has been with us since season one, and the most recent of his directorial jobs we discussed was Starship Mine. So this story mm-hmm. was originally written for Jordy. Can I tell you how much more sense that would have made? Mm-hmm. That's why it was necessary to bring up. Okay. <laughs> how Do you know how it got switched? Yeah, it was just determined that there had been too much Geordi focus and not enough Beverly focus. So, you know what? Why don't we do a story that includes Beverly so we'll take her and fit her into this story that had already been written. That's exactly how that decision was made. All right, because here's what I'm thinking. They should have rewritten it a tiny bit more. Like, you know, the Ferengi scientist turns out to have been like a Ferengi, like cardiopulmonologist. Sure. And he has a new idea for like a new artificial heart that you can fly into the sun. I see the the problem. I see the problem. At the same time, I see a problem with like Beverly's like all of a sudden she's like, oh, I'm interested in science and Mm -hmm. interested in having a bunch of scientists over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it has been six seasons. (laughs) Now, we also get to see the shuttle Justman. You want to take a stab at uh, who that was named after, Ken? Uh, I believe it is uh, the kid who was on It's Your Move. Mm hmm. Very good. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you very much. Very good. Either that or Bob Justman. Yes, Bob Justman, our old friend Bob Justman, who, of course, we talked a lot about back in TOS, and then he was with us for the first season of Next Gen. So a little tip of the hat to Bob Justman by naming a shuttle after him. And I I beg all of you, including you, Ken, to remember the phrase metaphasic shielding. It, It might just be the secret phrase, the secret word on another episode in the future. So we'll all get to scream and confetti will fall from the ceiling when we hear it again one day so we have a handful of guest stars to talk about peter marks uh here he is credited as peter slutsker but he legally changed his name and he plays dr rega now he was born in new jersey and he has an extensive background in music and musical theater performance This is actually the second of three appearances for him on Next Gen. We saw him as a Ferengi before in Menage a Troy, and he will be back for one more turn and then jump over to Voyager for a guest appearance there. Now, he did actually say that he was retiring from acting back in 2004. No professional credits from him since, so I guess he stuck with it. James Horan plays Jobril, and this is the first time for us meeting James, but he will be with us for a while. He'll be back on TNG, then he'll make guest appearances on Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. He has done a ton of voice work in his career, in addition to appearing as Grayson on Highlander. And we have something to look forward to. He will be on at least one episode of The Orville that other Star Trek show. Now we have John S. Reagan as Dr. Christopher. Uh, He had recurring roles on Quincy M.E., the FBI, and Santa Barbara, as well as a long line of guest appearances on other TV shows and a role in the 1974 film Earthquake. This is his only Trek appearance. John passed away in 2013. Joan Stewart Morris plays Tapan. Not too many professional acting credits for Joan. This is her only Star Trek appearance, and you may have seen her on L.A. Law or in the movies Speechless or Love is a Gun. Trisha O'Neill as Kirak. 
Now, we have seen Trisha before as a human, no less. She was Captain Garrett of the Enterprise 1701C in yesterday's Enterprise. Nice to see her here again, this time under Klingon makeup, and we will see her yet again under a different alien application in Deep Space Nine. And hey, a special shout out this episode to Whoopi Goldberg. We loved her on TNG, and this is the end of the road for her on the show. Now, of course, she'll be back, but we won't be seeing her on regular episodes of Next Gen from this point forward. I am sorry about the foreboding voiceover earlier in the show. Everything is going to be fine with the guys. Probably. The levels of Tetrion in their systems are almost never fatal. Seriously. Almost never. Prologue. Guinan comes to see Dr. Crusher in her quarters. She thinks she hurt her elbow playing tennis with Geordi. Crusher says Guinan should see Dr. Salar in sickbay, but Guinan argues, Beverly is her doctor! Well, says Beverly, you better find another one. I'm no longer a doctor aboard the Enterprise. Act 1. After a cursory examination, Crusher says Guinan has tennis elbow. She can fix it, no problem. Also, Beverly's really excited about her formal inquiry. Or the opposite of excited. Guinan says she's never had one of those, though Crusher says they're easy to get. All you have to do is disobey orders, violate medical ethics, and cause an interstellar incident. Then it's story time, as Crusher tells Guinan what happened. Party time, excellent. It all began when Dr. Crusher went to a conference to hear a Ferengi scientist, Dr. Rega, discuss his work in metaphasic shielding. Beverly thinks science really needs to get behind his ideas, and invites a boatload of scientists to the Enterprise to hear what Rega has to say. Only a carload accepts the invitation, though. There's the female Klingon, Kurak, totally defensive because, you know, Klingon. Dr. Tapan, female Vulcan and member of the Vulcan Science Academy for low these past 15 years. Her human husband, Dr. Christopher, and Jabril, a male Takaran about whom no one knows anything. Jabril seems the least skeptical of the bunch, though Rega says not only has he run successful simulations, he's piloted a drone shuttle with his metaphasic shield into a star's corona. Now he's willing to do it again. For real! He'll pilot a modified Enterprise shuttle into the corona of the nearby star, Vatan. Most of the scientists don't like this idea for different reasons. For Tapan and Christopher, Vatan is way too dangerous. Maybe pick a safe star into which to fly. Kurak, on the other hand, thinks Rega might fake his results. Jabril has the answer. He'll pilot the shuttle. He thinks Rega's onto something, and he just can't pass up the chance to fly a shuttle into a star. And with that, the test is set, and Rega is stoked. Not only are metaphasic shields not taken seriously by most, neither is Rega. A Ferengi scientist is practically a contradiction in terms in his estimation. All Rega wants is recognition to be acknowledged as a scientist. And it looks like he'll get his wish. When it starts, the test goes along swimmingly. The metaphasic shield kicks in automatically, as it's supposed to do. Radiation's manageable, shuttle temperature is safe. It's working! Until Picard jinxes it. He congratulates Rega on his success in the middle of the test, which is when Jabril starts gasping for air. Data says baryon particles are building up in the shuttle. He's too far into the corona for tractor beams and transporters. Still on screen, Picard urges Jabril to, you know, fly away from the star. 
which Jabril does. When they can get a lot, Crusher has Jabril beam directly to sickbay. He's alive, but not by much. With his dying breath, he says, <coughs> For the world is <coughs> hollow, and... The- oh, sorry. With his dying breath, he says, I saw the sun. Then he's gone. Act two. What's got Beverly shaken is not the dead guy, but the fact that she sent him to his death. She's lost patience before, but she's never sent someone off to die. Then it's back to story time. Takaran physiology is nutty. Systems spread throughout the body, redundant organs. Beverly's never seen anything like it. That is, unless you count Worf's redundant organs, which apparently we're not going to do. Point is, Jabril should have lived. Crusher is frantic to find the cause of Jabril's death. She tells Picard she owes that to Dr. Rega, though Picard thinks it's something else. See, he has sent people off to die. It never gets better. Though he says, you get used to it? Of course, Crusher's not the only one working on the mystery. Geordi, Data, and Dr. Rega are going over the Justman, the shuttle flown by Jabril, to see what, if anything, malfunctioned. And it doesn't look like anything did. It seems the shield just didn't work as Rega anticipated. With the technology questionable at best, Crusher says she has to stop any further testing. Rega asks for more time, saying he'll fly the shuttle. But Crusher says she can't allow it. Rega says he'll prove he's right, then leaves. Crusher says she admired his tenacity, and that she hoped he would prove himself. Too bad he was about to die. Act 3. Rega is dead on the floor of Science Lab 4, a completely discharged plasma inducer in his hand. Looks like he killed himself, though Crusher didn't see him as the suicidal type. She thinks the scene of his death was staged to make it look like a suicide. She tells Picard all of that, but she won't know more until she completes her autopsy. Yeah, says Picard, about that. Riga's family has been notified, and they don't want an autopsy. It would violate Ferengi death rituals. Um, hello? I think there's been a murder here? Maybe so, says Picard, but you'll have to prove it without an autopsy. Dismayed, Crusher starts quizzing the other scientists, the only ones on the ship with motive to kill Rega. She starts with Tapan and Christopher. Tapan picks up quick that she's a suspect, and Christopher is insulted. Besides, you didn't hear this from me, but I heard Kurok threaten Rega the other day. Rega, she said, insulted her honor, and no Klingon would stand for that. That said, Dr. Christopher does not think that Kurok killed Rega. When Beverly catches up with the Klingon, Kurok, she's studying Rega's work. He may have been on to something. And now, says Beverly, you're free to develop his theories without his interference. Kurok senses an insinuation. Crusher says, there's no insinuation, but why did you threaten Rega the other day? Okay, that is an insinuation. Sensing her honor insulted, Kurok throws Crusher across the room. Then she answers Crusher's question. Rega insulted Kurok's honor by accusing her of sabotaging his shield. But she says she didn't do that. Well, questioning suspects was a bust. Only one thing left to do, perform an expressly forbidden autopsy, which is also a bust. She tells Picard, and he is not happy. Not only have you disobeyed my orders, you've interfered with the burial rituals of another culture. 
The family will be upset, as they should be. The Ferengi government may get involved. I don't know that I can protect you. Beverly says there's no need. She knew what she was doing, and she will face the consequences. Back in current time, Guinan goads Crusher. Why are you sitting around? You need to keep investigating. You've already lost everything you can lose, so what do you have to lose? Act 4. Beverly leaves tomorrow to answer for her actions, giving her 24 hours to solve this mystery. Data says sabotage seems unlikely. The only person who could have sabotaged the metaphasic shield would have to have been someone inside the shuttle while the shield was on. In other words, Jabril. But that seems unlikely since that would have left him dead. It is possible that someone shot a phased ionic pulse at the adjustment from the Enterprise. That would have left traces of Tetrion on Jabril's body. Of course, Crusher no longer has access to medical records, what with her having been relieved of duty. But Nurse Agawa helps her out. And sure enough, traces of Tetrion on Jabril's body. It was sabotage. Probably. Only one way to know for sure, though. Steal the Justman and fly it into a star. Act 5. What the Picard orders Crusher to return to the Enterprise with the Justman, but she refuses. She thinks Rega's shield works, and she's going to prove it. Or, you know, die. She's isolated the shuttle's controls, so they can't be overridden, and she's already too close to the star for transporters and tractor beams. It's okay, though. The shield kicks on as it's supposed to. Rega was right. It does work. Crusher tells Picard to post guards on the three remaining scientists. One of them must be the murderer. Just then, contact between the two ships is lost, and holy crap, Jabril is alive! And on the shuttle. Remember that wacky Takaran physiology? He was alive the whole time. Just playing dead. Through his autopsy. Takarans can control their metabolism on a cellular level. He also has to thank Dr. Crusher. His plan had been to slip away and develop one of the shields on his own, but with her unwitting help, he has the actual shield itself. All he has to do now is fake the shuttle's destruction, wait for the Enterprise to go away, then take the Justman back to his home world and turn it into a weapon, apparently. Of course, the show will not end that way. Crusher kills Jabril with some really nifty special effects. Proven right, Crusher gets to keep her job. Despite disobeying orders, violating medical ethics, and causing an interstellar incident... One thing to do before getting back to work, though, she gives Guinan a special tennis racket, one designed to prevent tennis elbow. But Guinan doesn't play tennis. <laughs> Never has. The end. Uh, can I believe it's pronounced sabotage? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually almost yeah. said, but it looks like somebody threw their wooden shoe into the metaphasic shielding. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, yeah, good be, callback. Yes. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you for complimenting me on what I almost did. Mm -hmm. By the way, uh, something that I almost did. No, actually, you know what? Just picture I'm doing it right now is that uh, when mm -hmm. you read the line about how Guinan doesn't play tennis, I just I did mm -hmm. my own freeze frame and then roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. Nice. Big laugh, big smile credits running right in front of me. Yeah. Hey, uh, this is cool. A little bit of Star Trek in real life. Our listener, Steve. Hi, Steve. Uh, sent us an article about how NASA had announced. I mean, literally just like a, a week before we recorded this episode, NASA 
has announced a mission to send a spacecraft unmanned, unmanned, very important, <laughs> to get within 4 million miles of the sun, which is incredibly close when you're talking about stellar distances. And uh, it will launch in the summer of 2018. They just announced this, and uh, it will go there to make very detailed observations about the atmosphere of the sun, basically figure out how the physics of stars work according to the, uh, the release at NASA. So um, that's kind of, kind of amazing that we're talking about the same thing here. I suspect it's going to prove that the sun is a massive incandescent gas, <laughs> a gigantic nuclear furnace uh -huh. where hydrogen is built into helium uh -huh. at a temperature of millions of degrees. That's, that's just a guess. I knew you couldn't resist. I knew you couldn't resist. Yeah. <laughs> Good, but well done. The difficult part is going to be not finishing the song, so please continue. Uh, <laughs> I um, I'm also I'm very glad that in this episode, in your recap, that you pointed out Worf's redundant organs. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. With that scan that we actually saw in sickbay, it, it was a little weird anyway, because it was like there's some lungs and there's maybe like three hearts or stomachs or something kind of stacked up and just a whole bunch of intestines. <laughs> I was when she was describing how excited about this she was. I just I kind of pictured like an indistinguishable goo inside of him, kind of like if you took apart a stretch Armstrong and it just just the goo went everywhere. Yes, that's kind of how I wanted to think of this alien. And well, and that's kind of what she described. I mean, honestly, from what she described she has never seen anything like it from the picture on the screen that she was looking at while she was describing it. Totally seen it. She has seen something very much like it. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, it's Worf. He's like over there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, a, hi, I have a lot of what you're seeing there, although not a lot of what you said. Um, there was one thing that bothered me a lot in this episode. Oh, just one. Okay. Well, no, there yeah. were several things that bothered me some, but there was one thing that bothered me a lot. Okay. Uh, how did the other scientists think that Rego was going to fake his results? Because here's what he's going to do, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's going to get in a shuttle and he's going to fly it into a star. Yes. If he comes back. Yep. He has pretty much not faked his results. He's pretty much proven yeah, <laughs> that you can do that. Yeah, right. I don't understand. Yeah. Like, you know, he's going to come back and he's going to be walking around and you're like, well, of course you didn't blow up. It was your test. Let's mm -hmm. see somebody impartial do it. <laughs> well, okay. I was I was inside a star. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm thinking my logic's pretty sound on this one. Yeah, it's a pretty binary proposition. You would think so. Hey, uh, Dr. Salar. Yes, I'm, I'm so glad that she's still alive. I, it maybe it'd be nice to see her again. I, you know, yeah. Well, I, I just would have been great if this, the show had begun with Beverly saying, "I, I you should go see Doctor Salar," and Guinan going, "Oh, is she working? Cool." <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I kind of feel bad for Susie Plaxon because you know they they kill her off as one character, but they keep mentioning it's like they're just teasing her. They keep mentioning this other character that she played. Like, oh, we, you know, we we keep thinking about you. <laughs> so. <laughs> Hey, I heard my name on the show the other day. I'm wondering, is there... No? No? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, you guys might be doing movies someday. Mm -hmm. Do you, no? no? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. We had a Klingon here. Uh, Kurak meet Kirok. Kirok meet Kurak. You guys just <laughs> you'll get along. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, Jabril. I like Jabril. Mm -hmm. Although, it, it, for people who can't see me saying it, it's J-O apostrophe B-R-I-L. You ever wonder when they do that, what's being left out? Sure. Yeah. Like like Tapan as well and Tapau. Right. And Tapal and all yeah. those people. What's 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 the apostrophe covering? Yeah. That's my question. Uh Jabril, criminal mastermind, 
kind of an idiot otherwise. Hmm. Um, it apparently took Picard telling him to bring the Justman out of the sun hmm. to get him to turn the Justman around and bring it out of the sun. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Because he was like, he's like, I can't breathe. I can't, I can't even say I can't breathe. That's how much I can't breathe. Right. And Picard's like, whoa, are you okay? And he's like, well, I can't talk because I can't breathe. <laughs> and Picard's like, hey, turn the ship around and come back. <laughs> and Jabril's like, oh, is my face red? No, it's kind of a blue green because that's the way I am. But seriously, I should have thought of that myself. You're right. I will say, though, points to Picard. That's why he's captain. Sure. The captain gets to give the orders like, stop doing the thing that's killing you. <laughs> <laughs> get your face out of the sun yeah you just you involuntarily just stop at any point you you don't have to do this yeah um did you notice right at the beginning we had this framed shot of beverly walking into her quarters and uh in the foreground was this like glass topped table in her quarters did you notice the double fruit bowl? Because here's the thing, Beverly, I guess this is one of the privileges that comes with rank. She's got fruit on top of the glass table and another bowl under the glass with fruit in it. Now that, my friend, is a space fruit bowl. That's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. It's super weird, but... Guess what I want in my apartment now? Fruit flies. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's that, all that you're too. getting if you do that. that you too. know, because yeah, because I know you try to eat healthy. I know you try to be good. I can't mm -hmm. imagine you're going to eat two bowls of fruit by yourself. I just really can't. Not in the time it's going to give a guy a chance. Make one of them wax. I'm just yeah. saying, make <laughs> well, one of them wax. Well, maybe okay. Maybe that's the way to go. Um, Worf. He has this line. Uh, Perhaps he could not live with the failure of his invention and took his own life. That's that is the most Klingon thing ever stated in, in in this show. It's just wow. He goes straight for that. Not not that oh the the thing blew up around him or maybe somebody killed him. He's just like nope. This is how I assume it went. Well, in fairness, <laughs> <laughs> I mean they found the guy with a gun in his hand basically yeah. and his head blown off. And they're like oh should we start looking for suspects? No. Yeah. Most people are going to say, I think we got this wrapped up right here. I have not been able to get the song, my Sharona, out of my circuits, because they keep talking about sending a ship into a star's corona. You hear it as well, right? Into a star's corona. Into a star's corona. Into a star. R. 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 Woo. So Kirok's temper, I'm sorry, Kirok's temper. <laughs> yeah. Klingon or put upon. Mm. We're used to seeing Klingons be angry because, you know, it's light. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> They're awake. Right. You know, I mean, they tend to be an angry sort. Um, but they also said in the beginning, like, so when they, when when uh, Beverly's doing the voiceover, introducing all the scientists, she's like, yeah, Kirok doesn't really seem too happy. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling that science and scientists aren't really well respected on the Klingon homeworld. No, probably not. No. So what do you think the deal was with Kirok? I mean, like, was she more edgy than other Klingons? And is that just because, you know, she's a fish out of water and that she's on an enterprise, I mean, on a uh, Federation ship or is it because she's a scientist? And then a follow-up question, how did she become a scientist on the Klingon homeworld? If science is like totally disrespected and yet they've got things like, um, cloaking devices, warp drive, 
warships, mm-hmm. bigger warships, mm-hmm. um, you know, food. Yeah. <laughs> plumbing. Right. One assumes. Right. Those cool knives, you know. Those really cool yeah. knives. They don't make themselves. No. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of science involved in that, too. There, I'm just. Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying here. There, there has to be a, a cabal somewhere of really nerdy Klingons that are working on all of this stuff. And somehow it's bubbling up to the warrior class. And, and really, the warriors are all that we see. And it's it's kind of this weird thing about the, the monocultures, as we've discussed on Star Trek. And, and in this episode, you have Kurak, who is. Yeah, even I felt a little bit uncomfortable with uh, Beverly's voiceover and just saying like, well, you know, they make a lot of threats (laughs) because because that's what Klingons do. And then sometimes they follow up on those threats. So you had that. And then you had, of course, the very logical Vulcan who who couldn't be guilty of anything because, well, you know, she's a Vulcan and and Vulcans are always cool and calm and collected and honest and truthful. I was pretty sure it was going to be her husband. I was pretty Mm -hmm. sure it was going to be Christopher. I could have seen that. I could have seen that. Yeah. Um, Especially when he gets like all, when he gets all indignant. Oh yeah. When Beverly's like, so we think somebody was murdered. What are you accusing me of? Yeah. No, he, he picked that up from the Vulcans. He spent a lot of time around Vulcans. He picked that part up from them. (laughs) I think. I, I guess maybe, except they wouldn't be the Vulcans. Would, I mean, the Vulcans would be chill, just like Japan was. Well, but but you push them, and then it's like you, you hit that seething mass of emotions underneath. You know, Sarek taught us anything. Um, so I'm going to say that really the only person who came out well here is the Ferengi. The dead guy, you mean? Yeah. How did he come out well? Well, I mean, he, his story didn't end well, but I'm saying he, he's he's the one person who broke out. He, he's the one who's like, yeah, you know, not all Ferengi are a bunch of uh, latinum grubbing, devious, mischievous people who can't be trusted. Like, I'm just a scientist yeah. trying to do my thing. That's all I want. Yes. You know? Yeah, no, that's tr- that's true. He was, in fact, he is a very un-Ferengi Ferengi. I mean, we haven't really talked a lot. It's it's a later presentations of the Ferengi where we're going to learn more about their their greed uh, in a bigger oh, way. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they've sure. always been sort of like they've always been sort of like dirty dealing on next gen, but we haven't really gotten into their love of Latinum, if you yeah. will. Um, and yet, this is a very un Ferengi Ferengi in that he's like, I don't even all I want is credit, mm-hmm. not not like money, not like spending credit. All he wants is an acknowledgement that he is, in fact, a good scientist. He's willing to turn over exclusive rights to what he has done to whoever will help him do it better. Yeah. Um, which is kind of an interesting thing, uh, kind of an interesting thing to see. Speaking of monocultures, I don't know how many more Ferengi scientists we're going to meet. Right. Um, this is the first one we've met, though, and that's pretty... I don't even think we've met a Ferengi uh, business owner yet, have we? Do you think we ever will? Do you think we'll ever meet a Ferengi who owns a business? Hmm. Boy, that that would be... Wow. That's ah, crazy, isn't it? Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I hope yeah we get one to, can wonder. hope we get to see that one day. But no, so that, that's a very long way of, of kind of going through this the, the character analysis to say that, yeah, it, it felt like it felt like with, with Kurak, it, it sort of you know painting a klingon in two dimensions mm-hmm. and you know it's just like well we, we have to suspect the klingon because the klingons are angry and just just look at her just look at how angry she is um because that's that's how she is that's what she's got going on uh, well hang on in fairness yeah. beverly did go to other people first though she i mean there are only three of them 
She, yeah, well, of course. There are only course. three people to question, so she's going to get to them. But then uh, the uh, the human actually throws a bit of shade uh, Kronok's way, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. I heard her actually threaten the dead guy. Yeah. So, I mean, it's right. not just I suspect her because she's Klingon. It's I suspect her because she's one of three people who might have done this. And also somebody heard her threaten the other guy. What's, sure. what's really fascinating, though, is just how quickly Crusher's like, man, you know, questioning people's hard. I'm just going to do the thing I'm not supposed to do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we might get to that later. We, yeah, we, we might have to bring that up again. Um, I have, Boy, I feel weird saying this. Um, can, can I just dispense with my scientific non-curiosity? At this point, because here's the thing. I, I'm usually the first guy to support things like uh, manned spaceflight. Mm-hmm. Like in, in real life, you know, sure, we could send robots to the moon or to Mars, but I'm all for sending people if we can do it safely and, and sanely, you know. And um, but you know what I think is a bad mission? Like if somebody just presented me with a whole list of missions you could send a human on flying into the corona of a sun, mm-hmm. um, uh, let the robot do it uh we got one or or better yet let the robot do it with remote control because i think we have that too um there was a fascinating part in this in this episode where um they're talking about metaphasic shielding and they're mm going to fly into a sun you know to prove that it works and Mm -hmm. and crushers like you can see obviously the benefits of this technology Right. And I'm thinking, right. being mm. able to fly into a sun, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I wanted yeah. somebody to tell me like what the other one was. Of course, it was very disappointing also to find that um, Jabril was like, ah, yes, I can turn this into a weapon. How? Yeah, <laughs> right. And you're right. like, I, right. I will convince people that it's safe to fly into a sun, and then yoink. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't really understand yeah. how, how how do you weaponize yeah. this and how is it good in the first place? Now, you say maybe we're going to hear it again someday, so maybe then it will be taught to me why this is a great thing. No. Yeah, initially, though, <laughs> I'm just like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe... Well, yeah, but... And here's the thing. In, in the 24th century, you assume that we've gotten as far as we have into space because um, you have navigation <laughs> that tells you not to fly into a sun. <laughs> but... <laughs> Because so far we've mostly avoided doing that. Mostly, you don't do that. Yeah. yeah. Look, I and I know, I know, I'm just puncturing a hole in the whole premise of the story. You don't get the story without that premise. This is no story at all. I'm good with that. I'm okay by saying that. I really am. <laughs> I think. Wait, are you saying you're okay if there's just no story at all? I, maybe. Are you saying you're okay punching a hole? I'm okay with both. I'm okay with it. Maybe if okay. it was just like uh, we got a Klingon and a Vulcan and a human and uh, and a whatever a Jabril is and a Ferengi, and they all come over and they're all just going to hang out on the Enterprise and maybe go to the holodeck and, you know, they're just yeah, going to hang. Whatever. He's a Takaran. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the science going on here because I, I just brought it up. And, I, and I'm not talking about the metaphasic shielding, but but just the whole eagerness to prove someone right or wrong. So so you remember way back when uh, how Beverly reacted when Dr. Russell in ethics mm-hmm. was just barreling ahead. Sorry, sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> barreling ahead with a risky procedure to cure a wharf. Right. And and I really respected what Beverly did, which is to say, no, 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 you, you stop, you take a step back and you don't violate ethics and you test this thing and you go through the right steps you go through the right procedures to actually get to the point to be able to risk 
what you're trying to risk. And Dr. Russell's like, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, (laughs) You know, that must have rubbed off on Beverly in a in a big way here. Here's the problem, though. Do you remember the Monty Python skit with the um, Philosopher's Soccer Club? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 It's 48 minutes of TV, dude. You have like a full 48 minutes of people going, ah, yes, I've been looking over your paper some more, and it still looks papery. I know. Yeah, this this episode is the day that Beverly throws away everything that she believes in, because you have to do the episode on that day, not the other day, where she's just like, oh, you need me to point the lasery thing at your face to hide the scar sure i can do that <laughs> all right well hang on a second though mm-hmm. i mean in fairness this is her first time as a scientific diplomat yep and i know it's supposed to be geordie and maybe that's actually a good reason that this wasn't geordie because geordie would probably say why don't we do like eight more tests mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and beverly doesn't know that much about science i mean she knows a lot about medicine though that's the thing and so right. then somebody else comes in they're all like medical just like you know knocking things over and and like boosting people up and shooting hypos all over the place and <laughs> whatever and she's going to be like hey hey medicine i respect this right mm-hmm. science on the other hand i have a passing curiosity <laughs> let's see how this goes fly into the sun why don't you that because i hear from other people that this might work yeah no, I, I look, she has this line. She says, I admired his tenacity. He just wasn't going to accept defeat. Mm-hmm. Seriously? This is a vessel of scientific inquiry and exploration. Don't, there's, uh, you have to take it slow and follow <laughs> protocol. And let's, let's just stop for a moment admiring people who are so strong headed that they make terrible, terrible decisions. You know, it, it, like you could say, oh, boy, he was just so tenacious and wow, that he's a real go getter, except that this is violating everything <laughs> that you should be standing up for. I, you know, I get that this is a, a hard decision for her, but man, oh, man, it just hurts. I think I know what the apostrophe in Jabril's name is hiding. His full name is probably Jerk who is going to kill you and steal your scientific breakthroughs and claim them as his own. Brill. Jabril for short. You know, a lot of people said, uh, as we headed into recording this show, a lot of people said it was uh, Quincy in space. They Mm -hmm. said it was Quincy in space. Mm -hmm. I prefer to think, though, uh, that it is a different show. I prefer to think that it is is heart-to-heart. You know why? Why? Well, because first of all, Guinan and Crusher have the heart-to-heart. Yeah. Plus, when these five scientists meet, it was murder. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that show. Yeah, I, yeah, well, I figured, you know, I thought I'd really be in your wheelhouse if I just brought up anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, and you remember Freeway, uh, and you yeah. remember Max, and you're a huge fan of heart-to-heart. Yeah. And maybe you'd rather talk about that, but we got to talk about this. It's time to figure out whether the messages, morals, and meanings uh, of the episode Suspicions holds up and uh, whether the whole episode stands the test of time. Hmm. I get to put the question to you, sir. Okay. Uh, Suspicions, does this episode hold up? Well, after you distract me by taking me back to 1983, 
Um, <laughs> this might be a little harder to answer. Well, look, I, I'll give him this for this episode. Um, we got some new alien characters, and we managed to add a little depth to the Ferengi by having one that wasn't cut from the exact same cloth as all the others, uh, as I discussed. Mm -hmm. I, I really like that. That was a, a cool step. There's a stylistic thing here that we have to get over, that it's all told in flashback. Um now, that was a terrible choice with, say, Shades of Grey, but it was really the nature of the beast there that they were just doing a clip show. Um, right. And and we had a, a procedural type of show with a matter of perspective. Um, this one just doesn't work. Um, too much voiceover is usually a bad sign in a script, no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's a bit hard here. Um, and you know that I've said before that Star Trek is often just kind of a format on which you can explore another type of story. Well, th that theory of mine just does not work here. <laughs> you know, this is one of the, I think, failing examples of Star Trek's strengths. Um, I'm I'm willing to bet that you prefer the version of Blade Runner that doesn't have Deckard talking over the whole thing, right? No, you know what? I, I actually, I, I like the director's cut where they put his vo back in um really yeah i i do i i now I, I think they both work and they both work kind of for different reasons i'm just saying in general when you when you have to do a script that has vo like the theatrical release of blade runner shows that that movie works without the vo then if you're a fan and you get to go back and watch it with the vo you go oh okay well here's more of what's going on with decker so it's kind of a nice addition to that Mm -hmm. This script only works because they have the VO in it, and the problem is it doesn't work. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So it's not like you're discovering something new. It's just sort of like, oh, uh, she's talking again. Uh, I guess we're going back into the story <laughs> after commercial. Right, right. So, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of weakness in this episode, and, and it's not because any of the actors are bad. It's not because... It's not because it's directed poorly. Um, it's just that this is a premise that didn't get off the ground. This is a script that didn't get off the ground, and it's really too bad. And I don't know if it would have been any better with Jordy, because, again, if that's what you're going with, if it's VO and it's flashback and it's all that, it just may not have worked no matter what. Um, how about you? Well, I mean, I really honestly think there is a lot to like in this episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, including the number of times it passes the Bechdel test. Hmm. And for people who don't know, the basic idea of the Bechdel test is a movie, a TV show, a scene, a play. Um, if a scene has two women in it who talk to each other about something besides a man, mm -hmm. that passes the Bechdel test. And what's weird is, and, and we talked about this with uh, with one of the good people from Women at Warp uh, recently, um, you don't realize how often that is not the case. Right. <laughs> How right. often, you know, two women might be on screen at the same time, but they're not talking to each other or they're talking to each other about, you know, the problem with their husband or the guy they're dating or whatever. Um, this episode actually passes the Bechdel test repeatedly. Uh, Guinan and Crusher are having a conversation all the way throughout. Uh, Kurok and Crusher, I mean, they are talking kind of about Rega, but they're not talking about men in the way that, you know, uh, women often end up talking about men yeah. in movies and TV shows. They're talking about a circumstance, not a relationship with a guy. Right. Um, Crusher and Ogawa are shown in a working relationship where both show strength of character with nary a man in sight, unless you count the dead guy on the table in front of them, <laughs> right? 
Yeah. Another thing that I really love about this episode is Crusher is strong in this episode. Mm -hmm. I like that when Picard wants to protect Beverly, and I love the fact that he wanted to protect her. Beverly says, you know what? I did this. I'll face the consequences. Um, when Riker in an attempt to protect Beverly, and I love the fact that he wants to protect one of his fellow crew members. And I don't think that's because she's a woman. I think it's because she's a member of the family. And so he wants to protect her. But Beverly's like, you know, dude, no, I got a thing that I have to do. I have to finish this. I have to see this through. She is strong in this episode, but she's also... Wrongheaded. Yeah. I mean, it feels to me like the only message you can take from this episode is the ends justify the means. She disobeys orders. She violates medical ethics. She causes an interstellar <laughs> incident. And she gets to keep her job. Mm-hmm. We've talked before about the number of times that data should have been decommissioned. Hack, his off button should have actually been pressed. I think we talked about the fact that Spock should have been court-martialed when he took the Enterprise to Talos Four with uh, with Christopher Pike. And I know his his reasons were altruistic. They were good yep. for Captain Pike. But they were also, I mean, he shouldn't have the death penalty, actually, according to what we learned about in TOS. Beverly should be bounced out of Starfleet at the end of this episode. Yeah. And I know she ended up being right, but... I'm not sure that's supposed to matter. And by the way, the ends justifying the means is reinforced by Guinan's admission at the end of the episode that she doesn't play tennis. And it's a laugh because it all ended well, but it's all predicated on the lie. Right. And, and it's I mean, it's like if there is a message in this episode, I mean, yeah, so there are the messages of, you know what? I did this thing. I'm going to face the music. OK, that's a good message. Um, you are a coworker of mine or you are a friend of mine or you are a member of my extended family. I want to protect you. Okay, that's a good message. The ends justify the means. I don't think that's a good message. And and that we can actually just, I mean, they had actually, hadn't they? No, I guess they hadn't rerouted. She was going to take a shuttle back to Earth for the inquiry. Yeah. But I mean, there was like, there was a formal inquiry set up. And, and we're going to end the whole thing by like, oh, I get to keep my job. How? <laughs> Why? <laughs> um, and then there's there's all the other stuff you talked about. I mean, there's the voiceover. There's, I mean, there's... This is a weird episode because I like some of the messages in it. I like some of the things that happen in it. I, I, it, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't hold up as far as I'm concerned. As much as I want it to be a good, strong Beverly Crusher episode, she's strong in the episode. It's a bad episode. Yeah. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I like Beverly as a character. Yeah. And and I think we've always wanted to see her do more. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there have been these little hints of of when we see more of her humor and we see more of her, you know, concern as a mother and her interesting relationship with Captain Picard, you know, all of this stuff. So then we have an episode that highlights her. It feels like a letdown because it's a procedural and and it's just you know it might as well have been an episode of Columbo or or something like that and and it just I was going to say do you remember when they did like the Andy Griffith reunion shows sure and one of them was actually a pilot for Matlock oh wait a minute oh oh and i might be making that up but i'm pretty sure i'm not because i remember hearing that this was actually going to be basically them testing whether or not Andy Griffith could pull off this other type of character. Okay. And so 
he's not like he's not quite Matlock, but he's basically doing the sort of delivery and the sort of whatever that yeah. Matlock would end up doing. They decided it tested well enough, and so they went ahead and they made Matlock, and that went on forever. Yeah, and this this felt like that to me. This almost felt like they were piloting. Right. You know, can we send Beverly <laughs> to new New Scotland Yard or something? Right. I mean, it was just like right. it, it felt. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Star Trek can do many things, but this just felt like. I mean, this just felt like an ill-conceived pilot that, thank goodness, we didn't have to sit through again and again. And, and, again. and how interesting to pair up Beverly and Guinan, who are usually two people that others on the Enterprise go to for advice and, and reason. Mm-hmm. And how great to put them together and, and have some stakes to their conversation. Um, interesting, you mentioned the Bechdel test, and yeah, we did talk about that, uh, Women at Warp. I think that's sort of an entry point to talking about you know, issues of a TV show, whether it's, you know, uh, representation of women, how those characters are portrayed. I don't think it's the be all end all, but I, I think it's one way of analyzing how something is working or not, or at least kind of breaking a barrier or not. So I, that's something about this episode we just have not seen yet on Star Trek, which is these two major characters who are women having this conversation. I think somebody on our Facebook page posted an animated gif of uh beverly indiana in the workout gear again you know it referring to that it's like well sometimes you have women having a conversation and it's it, all you get from it is just a, a goofy meme that lives forever you know and unfortunately that's what we got before but here was a real opportunity to have something with a little more depth and i did like their moments together because they're, they're good and i found myself tuned into that more that I was tuned in to who killed whom. I just sort of yeah. stopped caring at a certain point about that. It's like I said a minute ago, There, I, I really do honestly think character-wise, mm-hmm. presentation-wise, there is a lot to like about this episode. Yeah. And if you can also find your way to liking this episode, you have accomplished something that I sadly was not able to do. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, I think the uh, the message that I took away from this is the same message that you did. I phrased it a little bit differently. Um, I said, if you break protocol and disobey orders and behave unethically, but you're right, then everything's okay. Exactly. Everything's going to be just fine. Just be sure to be right. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at roddenberry.com. You can also find podcast.roddenberry.com, where you'll find Mission Log joined by Priority One and Women at Warp. We hope you'll give those other podcasts a listen who have joined the Roddenberry Podcast Network. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM, that's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Rightful Air. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com and from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com. Next week, Jordy practices open heart surgery. Emphasis on practices. 
and transmission.